from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio at the Gas South Convention Center in Duluth, Georgia. Welcome to Celebrating Powerhouse Women, proudly presented by NEMA and Sourced. And hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo, and as you know, this is the series that salutes and recognizes women leaders making an impact. Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest, Audrey Arona. Audrey is the CEO and Chief Medical Officer for GNR Public Health. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. We're both just smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> for those who might be unfamiliar, Audrey, with your organization, share with us a little bit about your role and what you guys do. Right. So I currently work for GNR Public Health. And uh, Public Health is basically an organization that fills in the gaps for healthcare across the country um, for, you know, where healthcare resources in the areas are lacking. Like, for instance, undocumented uh, folks or uninsured folks or, you know, if there's not enough mammogram services, we would provide mammogram services. And, and uh, so depending on the specific communities and what healthcare resources are lacking, public health then kind of comes in and fills in those gaps and tries to, tries to help. And this is located in Lawrenceville? Yes. Our health department has a, an administrative complex in Lawrenceville. And then we have uh, five health centers, uh, one in Lawrenceville, one in Norcross. Buford is about to open Ooh. again because the pandemic, uh, we didn't have staff enough to carry that. Yeah, Although okay. the center was open for some of our services, like our Women, Infants, and Children Nutritional Program. We also have a health center in Rockdale County and one in Newton County as well. Newton. I can't even picture where that is, <laughs> but it sounds like you guys uh, span across a lot of counties, so you're very helpful in those communities. Right, we do, and public health really um, is all about preventing illnesses, uh, and that's infectious diseases, but also environmental health, so we uh, protect the food systems and that type of thing. We also do a lot of um, promotion of health and well-being for our communities, as well as prepare for emergencies like the pandemic. Mm. If, if you could even prepare for something like that. Right. You said something that's very interesting that I've never heard of, protecting food systems. Can you give me an example of that? Right. We have an entire environmental health division that basically um, inspects food uh, restaurants. When you walk into a food establishment, everyone should know that there's a food inspection score right, right there. So you want to see it in the high 90s or 100 <laughs> when you go to visit a place for, for that. And, and yeah, so we inspect them um, a couple times a year. And then we also do septic tank uh, permits and land use um, issues and, uh, again, address any violations or complaints uh, that people make. Interesting. <laughs> well, um, before we kind of get into your story, I would like to just share a little bit about your background. So you graduated from the University of California in San Diego. I did. My husband is actually from California as well. And you went to um, school for biology and biochemistry. Tell us a little bit about the college days. The college was, was fun. I um, originally started um, without college. My father, actually, when I wanted to go to college, I had a college scholarship because I was a majorette in high school, band person, and, and I had a college scholarship to go to local university, and my father said, college is not for women, Audrey. And so I just didn't go, and I started working just throughout time. And, and then it just dawned on me, you know what, this is, I really want to go back to school. And I had my sights on medical school. And so, um, at the age of 20, oh goodness, 26, I wanted to get into medical school before 30. 
That was my goal. So I did a four-year college degree in three years. Wow. And just pushed hard and thought at the time that a dual biology major was the best way to get in medical school, which, you know, anyone out there that is thinking about medical school, call me and talk to me, <laughs> you know, because I can give you some advice. You don't have to take that hard route. <laughs> but in any event, uh, that's what led me there. So your father did not encourage you to go to school, but you decided to proceed your, proceed with your education anyways. What was that like? Was that dynamic supportive? Did he support you once you finally made that decision? Or was it something that you just kind of had to do on your own? No, he was very supportive. And, um, and, and I think just times changed. You know, when I was 18, mm -hmm. it was different then. And he was different. And I think you know, just over the course of talking with him and all, he realized he was very proud of me for what I was able to accomplish. As he should be. You had a very inspirational story that we were kind of chatting before the show about. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Um, first of all, let's start with you delivering babies for 25 years. <laughs> so you were an OBGYN and you owned your own successful practice. And there, is, there was a knock at the door or a call in your heart that kind of changed your trajectory. Share that story with us. Right. Well, I was actually seeing a patient in my office uh, who worked for the health department. And she got a phone call from one of the clinics, and um, they had a problem with an IUD. And she didn't know what to do and that kind of stuff. Said she would call back. And, of course, I was in a room, so I asked her about it. I said, what, what's the problem with the IUD? I, maybe I can help. And so that led to a conversation saying, well, who do you go to when you have problems with, you know, some of these OBGYN issues? And she said, well, we don't really have anybody, but we, you know, we, we try to manage the best we can and we refer a lot of patients out. And I said, well, why don't you give me your cell phone number? And when you have a problem like that come up, just um, text me or call me and I'll help you through it, right? And so even when I was in the operating room in major surgery, um, if they called, my cell phone number on the top said, health department calling, answer this. And so the, the circulating tech in the operating room, I would say, answer that call. Mm -hmm. And then we would handle her issues, you know, wow. then as best as we could. So that led to them saying, hey, you know, could you maybe once a month, you know, be available and come and review some nurse protocols or different things that relate to OBGYN? Because the health director at that time was a pediatrician. So I said, yes. So I just volunteered my time. And then over a course of time, it just was, can you give us a day? Can you give us this? Can, you know, and so it just kind of eventually, um, you know, turned Great. into more and more voluntary time, which I was happy to do because I'm all about giving back to our community. You were sharing your time and talent and they quickly recognized your talent and wanted to take some more of your time. Well, thank you. <laughs> so um, kind of go a little bit more into detail about when you sold your practice. Well, um, or closed your practice. Yeah. So I had a lease in my office and I was coming up on five years before that lease would end. And I knew that I couldn't afford to continue, um, to pay for that lease because, you know, over time it's harder for a single, uh, practice. And I had had a couple partners before that left and moved away and then one passed away. And so I found myself by myself mm. in that practice. It's really hard to make do, especially these days, being a solo practitioner in a medical practice. And so um, I prayed. Um, I knew that 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 lease was up in five years. And so I just prayed and said, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, um, do you want me to go to Guatemala? Because my kids were in college and about to graduate. And I was like, you know, do do you want me to um, 
you know, go to Guatemala and operate on people who, you know, can't afford health care or, you know, volunteer my time with, you know, Samaritans mm-hmm. and different things like that? Or do you want me to move my practice, you know, wherever? And uh, at that time, my predecessor of the health department um, reached out literally that same summer when I had this prayer. And he said, I'm going to retire in about two or three years, and I want you to take over for me as health director. And mm-hmm. I said, I said, um, no, <laughs> why would I do that? <laughs> right? Because it made no financial sense at all. But over the course of time, he kept meeting with me and encouraging me to do this. And I just felt a calling. It was just a calling to take this job, even though it made no, no sense whatsoever for me from a financial standpoint, from my patients. It was very hard to leave my patients and uh, close the practice, but that's what I did. Kind of expand on that that tug. You and I were talking about um, we're both faithful women, and I called it the Holy Spirit, just kind of, you know, on your heart. And for those who might have a feeling or calling and they don't know how to discern that, what would you suggest? How do you kind of decipher that? And then how do you take that actual blind leap of faith? Right. Well, I think in my case, at least, it, it resulted from a prayer asking for guidance, right? So I was listening I was looking for answers, right? And sometimes you get a calling, like when he approached me and said, I wanted you to do this. That, that wasn't me asking for that. That was, I had to link the two together and realize that that was my answer. My, mo- my mother said, Audrey, that's your boat. God is sending you a boat, right? That's your boat. And I had to really think about it. But I think, you know, um, it's easier to discern um, God's will, I think, when you're really looking for it and asking for it. I mean, if you ask God for wisdom and guidance every day, why would he not give you that, mm-hmm. right? I like that, the, the boat. So, like, you know, I've heard ship sailing, you know, that ship has sailed. So I imagine it was something kind of along those lines that she was saying, that your boat was coming, jump on it. To rescue and me. And you're riding it out into the sunset. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about um, your childhood. You mentioned you spoke fondly of your mother and your father. Right. So I had a great childhood growing up. I grew up in southern Arkansas on a very, like 20 miles from the Louisiana border, a dry county. I mean, it was like the the movies that were on the downtown were very strict. I mean, it was in terms of what they could could do there. So I was had a very isolated and protected childhood. And um, my parents were really great uh, because they got me involved. Um, I loved horses. And so they... Uh, got a horse for me. And that was the smartest thing ever because I babysat every night, every weekend to pay for feeding that horse in the, in the room and board and in the hay for the horse. And then I was, um, a barrel racer. I, um, had a quarter horse who I just loved. Her name was Lady Luck. And her and I were an item. I had pink Stetson hat. I had pink boots and a pink saddle blanket. And we just went to these horse shows and it was so much fun. And so that's what I did. And um, it was really smart. I, I would encourage folks to always especially get their daughters involved in animals. Horses are wonderful. And um, because it just really take, took my trajectory off of some of the other social issues my friends were having. You know, equestrian therapy is something that I'm very familiar with. My nephew participates in that. And like you were mentioning, the connection between the individual and the animal is such a special relationship. Absolutely. And there's so many lessons that we can learn when respecting such a large animal. And even things like responsibility, like you were saying, working working so hard just to feed your horse. At 50 cents an hour, by the way, cents. back then. Where, babysitters. where did Lady Luck wind up? My horse ended up passing away. She was um, older 
and so that's inevitable. But right. uh, but eventually, you know, once I moved away, um, I would always see her. My parents had her on their property, mm-hmm. and so every time I went home, she would nick her from the Aww. field and come running up. See and you, yeah. It was always great. So it was sad when she passed away, but she left. She she led such a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me about barrel racing. Is that something that was self taught, or did your parents like? Do they have barrel racing lessons? I've only seen it on TV, never in person. So yeah, it's very cool. My best friend uh, had uh, horses, and so that's why um, we were able to rent a place in the barn to you know to house my horse. Mm-hmm. And so she was a big barrel racer from very young age, and so she kind of taught me. And we learned to ride bareback. You know, well, you have to have a saddle when you're running barrels and mm-hmm. we did stakes and speed and western pleasure and different kinds <laughs> of events but um you had to have a saddle and that was hard for me because i had learned to ride bareback, bareback. Uh, with just cut off shorts and no shoes holding so on we to did. The, the the mane right there right well not the mane but you had a bridle on so you had mm. reins but okay. but yeah it was uh it was neat. So it was hard to learn to, to ride with a, a saddle and do all that. But we did really well. We all won a Arkansas High School Rodeo Association Championship one year. And oh, yeah, it was rodeo pretty, champion. pretty fun. Do you still ride horseback? When's the last time you were on a horse? It's been a long, long time. I try to do that. I love Barnsley Gardens. Mm-hmm. Up, if you know where that is, off of 75, it's... um. Um, but, and they have horses there that you can rent. So every time I'll plan an excursion and just go up there and ride, and which just is ride. fun. That's exciting. Just ride. Now, are you uh, an only child or did you have brothers and sisters as well? No, I have an older brother and a younger brother and a sister. My, my parents had, uh, four children in five years. Nope. So we boom, were boom, all, boom. yeah, mm-hmm. very, very close. We're all very close in age. And aren't they here in Georgia? No, they're all in Arkansas. Arkansas. I was the wayward child. I just... You know, and went away. Did your career bring you here? The pursuit well, of your career? Actually, I moved um, when I was 18. I, I, I worked for a lawyer and I wanted, I wanted to, um, um, I wanted to work. For, I, I got a job opportunity to work for a senator in Michigan. So I ended up there um, for a short period of time. And then I had an opportunity to move to California to work for a law firm there. So I moved to California and that's when I decided that I want, I really didn't like law. I wanted to, I was working as kind of like a self-taught paralegal Mm -hmm. and I didn't like it. So I thought I really want to be a doctor. So that's why I decided to go back. And you did. And I did. (laughs) Now you yourself are a mother of two boys that you mentioned in their twenties or so. What was it like kind of pursuing your in-depth career, also managing a practice and preparing for the leap that you now are seated in, in, um, G N R public health and kind of being able to parent as a single mom all at the same time. Right. I got divorced, unfortunately, when they were nine and seven years old. And so I've essentially, you know, raised them on my own and with a busy, busy practice that I was, thankfully I had other partners at that time. So I, you know, I wasn't on call every night. Um, but I thought it was really good to show them, a good work ethic, and they were always my priority. And I prayed every day, especially when I was on call when they were younger, that I would at least be able to be home to put them to sleep. Mm. And I could tell you, with all those prayers, on one hand, how many times I was not there to, to put, put them to sleep. To sleep. Because I didn't, ma- I didn't care if I was up all night long. I just wanted to be there when they went to sleep. And uh, God helped me do that. So it was really sweet. And I think that, you know, it's been good for them because, um, 
you know, family is always first. God and family is always first in my practice then too. And although I wasn't there for a lot of things, um, I can count again on one hand how many lacrosse games I missed. Mm -hmm. You know, it just always, it just seems if you, if you put the needs of your family first Mm -hmm. and you pray about that and ask God to do that for you, um, again, why would he not answer that Mm -hmm. when your heart's in the right place? I love that. For those of you who are just joining us, um, celebrating Powerhouse Women today, we have Audrey Arona joining us. And when we return, we are going to speak a little bit more about that work ethic that you mentioned. NEMA is a full-service logistics company that provides trucking, warehousing, and expedited deliveries for the paper machine clothing industry. They offer a full line of services, including delivery within the 48 contiguous states, Canada and Mexico, plus importing and exporting, air freight forwarding services, foreign trade zone warehousing, and many more services to handle your global logistics needs. NEMA is a proud sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women podcast series. We know running a business is hard. There are so many things that need to get done and you don't have the time, the resources, the experience, or you just don't want to do it yourself. At Sourced, we have your back. Office. We support leaders of companies with all their back office challenges that weigh them down. Whether it's accounting, talent acquisition, administrative support, marketing or human resources, our team of experts at Sourced will make your life easy and your back office effortless. To see how we can help you, check us out at GetSourced.com. All right, and welcome back to Celebrating Powerhouse Women. I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo. Again, joining us in studio today is Audrey Arona. She is the CEO and Chief Medical Officer of GNR Public Health. And before the break, we were talking about all kinds of fun things, horses included. But now I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about leadership. You yourself obviously have led an organization and you're a leader of your family and within the community as well. What to you are some qualities within a good leader? Should there be any other kind of leader but a a servant leadership? So what I mean by that is, you know, when I started uh, with the organization, typical organization structure is like a corporate model with the CEO at the top and then you've got directors that answer to you and all the way down to, you know, the uh, the lowest rank of, of, you know, our customer service people who face the public. Mm -hmm. Well, in public health, our priority is our community. Just like when I was in practice, my patients were everything to me. I would do, I would sacrifice everything. I gave them all my cell phone number and said, call me. I don't care if I'm on call or not. I'll try to be there to deliver you. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's just the kind of doctor I was. So when I took over public health, I said, you know, our community is what really is, is our main priority. So when I came here, I flipped that, um, organization chart and put me as CEO on the bottom. Hmm. I shoulder all the responsibility, right? But I'm the least important person there. And it's my job to make sure that the leaders who are the executive leadership team that reports to me have what they need to be successful. And they to the teams that report to them all the way up to the most important people in our organization. And that are the employees that face our public. And so that's the servant leadership model that I tried really hard to do. And I think that's really important for everyone. If you think about it, the normal corporate leadership is much like a military model, right? With a general at the top and at the bottom is the enemy, right? So why do we, why do we 
you know, um, our customers and our community, why do we put them in the same place in that leadership model where the enemy is in the military mm. model, right? right? So it makes more sense to flip that. So that was been my mission there. I was thinking I even drew a triangle here because when you said that, I was like an inverted pyramid. And how interesting that is. Obviously, that is a sign, a quality of a good leader, like you mentioned, putting yourself last. But I can only imagine the response that your team um, gave and maybe the, the disruption or the change that you were able to quickly see. Talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, anytime um, a leader changes in a large organization, I mean, we had over 300 employees, right? So every time leadership changes, there's a lot of fear, right? So my major goal, and this was, again, a year before the pandemic started. So I was grateful to God that I was able to really get my feet in there and kind of show everybody who I was a year before the pandemic, because that kind of disrupted everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as a, as a, as, as a leader, it was really important for me to, to model what I was trying to do. So I think, you know, with the initial fear and, oh, who is this person and where is she coming from and what's she going to do and mm-hmm. what changes is she going to make? The first thing I said is, look, I'm not going to make any changes here. So there's no need to fear. I'm going to walk around. I walked around and asked everybody, what's your grind? What do you hate about your job? Mm-hmm. Right. Because in government, a lot of times what we do is just repetitive. And it's, and we do those things in that way because they've always been done that way before. Mm-hmm. So that was always my pet peeve. And I said, so put your, you know, the people that you serve as a priority and let's think outside of the box in terms of how we can take our services and to the next level. what I always call put them on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. As doctors say that, mm-hmm. put them on steroids <laughs> and just hype them up. And how do we access more people and have a greater impact? I've never heard it put quite like you did. What is your grind? And I'm going to invert that and ask you, Audrey, what is your grind? My grind is spend the politics in my job. But I've done everything that I could throughout the pandemic, especially we saw that big time, um, to really not think about things in terms of the politics, right? Mm-hmm. So my goal was always to say, um, you know, what does our community need? So the very first thing we did uh, was to say, hey, and I gave the community, leaders, officials, um, everyone, people on Zooms, citizens, my cell phone number, and mm-hmm. said, if you have issues, just call me, yeah. right? And I'll help you walk through it. So, and we acknowledged their fear. Mm-hmm. There was so much fear around COVID, right? And changing guidelines and different things that confuse so many people. And so on Zooms and all the time that I spent on programs like this, trying to get information to the public Mm -hmm. and to people who are trying to make decisions about even their businesses and what to do. It was always in in the face of how can I answer your questions best and help you Mm -hmm. get through this. That's so kind of you to have given your cell phone number out. I can only imagine how much your phone actually rang because you gave that out and there was such a need for that information. You mentioned acknowledging fear and that's something and and even facing it. That's something that people kind of naturally avoid and definitely don't want to um, just do straight on. Share with us maybe how you would approach that if you were faced with something uncomfortable or acknowledging fear and then having to work through that. Right. Well, and I can tell you going through COVID, there was a lot of it, like I said, and and even me. I mean, I was very fearful uh, because we didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, you know, how our staff, I mean, we could have had a mass exodus of all of our staff and how would we be able to do all that? So, you know, those types of things keep you up at night in the middle of the night. But, you know, the way that I have always approached fear 
is head on. And that is that I recognize it. And my go-to, my source is my faith. And I pray for wisdom and guidance every single day and know that, you know, my steps are being led and trust that, you know, trust that. And, um, you know, women have, not to discount men, but women have a really wonderful ability, uh, a sixth sense, I'll call it, about things. And I've always told my patients throughout my entire career and even now that listen to your sixth sense Mm -hmm. because you're right. I mean, so many patients of mine uh, would say, you know, I know that all the tests show nothing, but I just feel like there's something going on. And I would say, you know what, let's check. And all, they were right almost all the time. Intuition. Yeah. Right. That intuition and that just that just basic um, thing that I think women are really good at. Mm-hmm. I think some men are too, mm-hmm. uh, but specifically women. women. Which that, is why I went into OBGYN, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> that sounds like um, something, you know, it's very important to have a mind-body connection. So if you're that in tune with your your inner self and your body physically and you're able to kind of have that little you know, sense that you just mentioned, um, mind body connection is something that is extremely important, especially in exercise and things like that. Um, speaking of, aside from barrel racing and horses, (laughs) what do you do to stay active? What do you do to personally and professionally develop? Well, that's a really great question. And I've had to really take a step back because during COVID there was none of that. Right. And it's hard once you get into that work routine that when you have four hours where you don't have to do anything, um, you kind of go, okay, I I feel kind of guilty that I don't have anything I have to to do. do, Right. And I should tell you also that during COVID, during, you know, this new job, all this stuff, I decided to go back to school and get my master's in public administration. Wow. And I did that because medical school doesn't teach us about government administration. Mm -hmm. Right. So I felt like I could do my job better. And not many people know this now I'm telling the world, but you know, um, I decided to go back and get my master's in public administration so that I could do my job as best I could. Cause I really take it seriously. You know, when we accept responsibility, let's do it the best we can, mm-hmm. you know, with prayer, but there's a lot of knowledge out there that we can gain if we don't have it and not right. to assume that you know everything. So I will graduate from that at the end of the summer. So I'm really excited. It's exciting. Are you doing it in person? Or are you doing it online? I had to do it online, right. of course, but there are so many good um, master's programs online. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I chose Valdosta State, State University. Yeah. And it's just so wonderful. And what was funny is I was budgeting all this out and thinking, okay, how am I going to um, pay for all this? And And only to find out that if you're over 62, it's free. Amazing. <laughs> so I got so why not? Right. So, yes. But that was after I made the decision already mm-hmm. and paid the first semester. And they go, oh, by the way, we're refunding your money because, you know, you're over 62. And I was like, praise God. That's exciting. See, and one could even say that you were led to continue your education. It just so happened that you fit right into that category. That's right. And you got to, that's really interesting that you chose to do that so you could have an understanding of the full scope. I tip my hat to you for right. wanting a greater understanding. Thank you. It's just like an MBA for business but an MPA for public administration. So it's government business because government finance is completely different than business finance and even HR rules. There's a lot of different, um, you know, even the law is so different. I want to switch gears because I'm just truly curious and I have you held captive here in this seat. Yes, you do. You were a, I can imagine how rewarding it was to um, be a part of so many deliveries and bringing new life into this world. 
share with us as a interesting birthing story or something. Obviously you can't share the names, but what is either one of the most rewarding experiences that you had or most bizarre or unique, um, situation that you've been in? Well, thank you. There's so many, there's so many, and I feel so privileged to have been able to do that in my lifetime. I mean, it's just such a special thing to experience. And I can tell you that most babies that we still don't understand why most babies are born in the middle of the night. Okay. (laughs) And it's usually that two to three to 4 AM. Um, so it was, it was crazy. I mean, there were, there were days when I was be up, you know, hours and hours without sleep, but every time I delivered a baby, it was like a miracle. It was like a miracle. And I wanted to stay with the family. It was hard to leave right? because I wanted to stay with them and celebrate, Mm -hmm. but I knew I had to get home, get the kids up for breakfast and all this stuff. But in any event, it was, it was just really a pleasure. But, um, what I found routinely, um, several, several times that was so cool, um, is that, you know, like I said, I would listen to patients, um, about how they felt about things. And several times, um, you know, the mother would say to me, you know, I just, I, can you induce me? Cause I just, I, I'd feel like something bad's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I can tell you on s- more than on my 10 fingers, the times that I said, as long as it was safe, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. Um, and everything was right to do that. I would never compromise the baby or mother, mm-hmm. but I would go ahead and do that. And then during labor, we find that there's a tight cord around the neck or there's something and the baby is having problems. And a lot of women labor at home Mm -hmm. until they get to a certain place and then head to the hospitals, right? So a lot of those, um, not a lot of them, but in a lot of those instances over 30 years Mm -hmm. or 25 years is when I would listen to that, start to induce them and realize that during labor they had an issue. And then you deliver the baby by C-section or you do what you can to enhance and facilitate delivery as quick as you can. And I would go back to their families and sit down after the baby's born and said, if you don't believe in God, you need to think about it. Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you what just happened. And the realization that wow. there's no way that we would have known. I know, right? Goosebumps. There's there's no way that we would have known that that baby would have had any trouble if you were laboring at home mm-hmm. and you would have gotten to the hospital and the baby wouldn't be there anymore, right? Would, wouldn't be alive. So there were so many of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what was the coolest thing is just to see the spiritual connection and how God works in people's lives to uh, keep them safe and protect them from um, problems. That's amazing. I got goosebumps when you were telling that story. Um, as we come to the end of our show, I want to ask you a couple things because you and I were talking before the show and you were mentioning the importance of not only enjoying the destination, but the joy within the journey. Mm-hmm. Elaborate. Well, you know, our journey is so different. Um, I'm writing a book about this right now and um, I don't know when it'll be done, but um, I just feel like um, there just keeps adding chapters to every every time and and basically what it's about is um you know when we um pay attention to what happens in your life and see uh the little miracles that are there that you know could not occur by any other way but a gift mm-hmm. right to you for whatever reason whether it's something you're protected from or whether it's an outcome that you see or whatever and, and my advice to everyone is that the more you look for those, the more you see, hmm. right? And so we just have to look at our lives as just day to day, appreciate where we are because we know life is so short. And, you know, we just, we just have to have as much influence on others that we can. 
you know, a, a powerful, um, this whole thing is about powerhouse for women, right? Mm-hmm. And and when I was coming over here, I was like, oh, I don't really feel like a woman of power. I don't like that term mm-hmm. because it doesn't sound good to me. But, you know, I like what Margaret Thatcher said, where she said, having power um, or being someone who is powerful is no different than a lady. If you have to tell somebody you're a lady, you're really not, mm. right? So I appreciate uh, your interpretation of the the show because I feel a little bit differently. When I think of powerhouse, I think of uh, a pillar of strength. Mm. I think of, I, I understand how you, how you said that because we're now thinking about it. I'm like, oh, power, it does sound like you don't want to like bulldoze someone down or like, I'm coming in the door. <laughs> but I view it as a pillar of strength and I do view you as a pillar of strength. You, oh, you give you. back to your community. You're a wonderful mother and you're just so incredibly, you're, your heart is in what you do and it's very evident. So thank you for sharing your passion with us. Thank you so much, Amanda. I've thoroughly enjoyed this today. Well, as we are kind of closing out, I told you before, you know what time it is. Would you please leave our, our listeners with some uh, parting thoughts or words of wisdom? Um, I've, I found a quote that I wanted to share. Um, and you know, Uh, And and this speaks really to everyone. I hope it'll help everyone. But, you know, a woman who walks in purpose, right, does not chase, doesn't have to chase people or opportunities. Because of her light, people and opportunities will pursue her. Wow. That's beautiful. Would you read it again? Yes. A woman who walks in purpose does not need to chase people and opportunities. Because of her light, people and opportunities will pursue her. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you for sharing, Audrey. You're welcome. Well, um, anybody who's out there listening and they might have some questions about home birthing versus, you know, coming to an actual medical facility, are there any resources that you would recommend so that they can educate themselves and make an informed decision? Absolutely. Well, all of those deserve to be talked about with their individual doctors because everything is so different. Um, home birthing is wonderful and having doulas and, um, midwives and all that we've, it's, they're wonderful experiences, but the most important thing is to talk to your doctors because some people have very high risk situations Mm -hmm. where that that's really not advisable and not a smart idea. Mm -hmm. So again, education and information empowers us to make the decisions that are best for us. And then we feel good in the choices that we make. There you go, folks. Thank you so much for joining us today, Audrey. I truly have enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Amanda. Um, For those of you listening who care to enjoy previous episodes or upcoming episodes, we'd love it if you subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I listen on iTunes. I think you listen on iTunes too, don't you, Audrey? I do. Thank you. Perfect. And they are available 24-7 at businessradiox.com. Just select the Gwinnett Studio and look for the Rosie the Riveter icon. You know we are live every Friday at 1130 a.m. And I am your host, Amanda Pierch Marmalejo. This is Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X.